the mass exemption card program goes up in smoke. This week, the City of Edmonton codifies a process in which passable skill in MS Paint and a business card printer is sufficient to exempt anyone from the mandatory masking bylaw. Plus, we'll catch you up on what you missed this summer and prepare you for the upcoming council season, fueled by crotchety COVID-induced stir-craziness. Hi, I'm Troy. I'm Mac. And we're Speaking Speaking Municipally. Welcome back to Speaking Municipally, episode 94. We were with you last week, as you should know if you are subscribed Subscribe anywhere you get your podcasts or at speakingmunicipally.taprootedmonton.ca. But you'll recall that episode was all about the city plan. It was a one and done in a vacuum episode. And we all know what people tune in for. It's for us crotchety raving about city council and what buffoonery they got into this week. And lo and behold, we're back. And there was a lot of buffoonery. A lot of buffoonery indeed. And we will get to that after, of course, we get to the rapid fire segment. E is the new cheer that will be echoing through empty COVID-closed stadiums as the Edmonton football team has opted to finally change their name after rejecting Empire because, seriously, do we even need to explain that? The team opted for a name that was familiar to them. They've been using it for a long time while plugging their ears and trying to drown out people raising concerns about their use of Eskimo, said the general manager of the team and future UCP drop-in candidate Brock Sunderland. We tried to go with Edmonton, la 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 la, I can't hear yous, but that wouldn't fit on a jersey. The city of Edmonton recently completed construction on the Kaasiniskak Bridge over Connors Road, moving the existing bridge to a storage yard with plans to replace an aging bridge in the Black Mud Creek with that one next year. The feat of removing a bridge and transporting it was quite impressive and required many teams to work together, which the city is touting as clear evidence of success of their integrated infrastructure reorganization. The city, which has been plagued in the past by over-budget and delayed bridge projects, released its new bridge construction strategy this week, said interim city manager Adam Laughlin, quote, We've recruited the best Las Vegas magicians onto our team, not like they were performing down there anyway, and now our river crossing strategy will vaguely emulate a cup game. Rather than build any new bridges or repair our existing stock, we're simply going to move all of them around as frequently as possible, and then by the time we stop shifting them around, no one will know where a real bridge is or isn't. The Oilers' general manager has said that the team needs to, quote, build on progress, end quote, after missing the playoffs this season. The Oilers, who burst fans' bubbles after losing at their first possible opportunity, are excited at the prospect of starting the next season without the pressure of Edmontonians' hopes. Said Philip Broberg, the new defenseman who just barely made the cut to play in the playoff qualifier, quote, The upcoming season will be the most exciting of my life. I can't remember. Even Little League had higher expectations set for me. At training camp, coaches handing out stickers and ribbons just for the guys who managed to lace up their skates properly. End quote. Speaking Municipally is part of the Alberta Podcast Network, locally grown, community supported. And this episode is brought to you by the ECF. The Edmonton Community Foundation acts as a bridge between donors and charities to create strong, vibrant community for generations to come. You can start an endowment fund yourself or with a group, and once it reaches $10,000, it can start distributing funds. Vital Signs is an annual checkup conducted by the Edmonton Community Foundation in partnership with the Edmonton Social Planning Council to measure how the community is doing, and this year it has a focus on arts, philanthropy, green spaces, and sports and recreation. You can learn more at ecfoundation.org. So we're back, and anyone who was paying attention to the news will have caught the big item this week. We had over the long weekend 
enforced a mandatory mask bylaw in the city of Edmonton. And that was to much acclaim, I would say, by the general population. I think it was widely adopted. And in fact, the city released stats saying that there was pretty broad adoption of the masks. No? Yeah, they were talking about after the first weekend. So it took effect August 1st to Saturday. That was the long weekend. And on Tuesday, they issued a news release basically saying that they saw 80% compliance. Just observing on transit and in city facilities, four out of every five people were wearing some kind of face covering. And they thought that was off to a good start. I would say probably one out of five, 20% of Edmontonians don't have an exemption. Those were just people who needed the education that the city was opting to pursue over enforcement. But at some point, the city administration decided, hey, what about people who can't wear their masks? What about their rights? And then they took some action. So it's kind of bizarre, actually. I mean, when they passed the bylaw, this temporary face coverings bylaw, it was clear that there were some exemptions in place. And nobody really made much of those. They're all fairly straightforward and expected exemptions. Most of the commentary at the time was just, you know, council did the right thing in approving this bylaw. And then on August 7th, our good old friend John D. from Ward 3 uh, posted on Twitter about something called an exemption card. He posted this photo with his watermark on it and the city of Edmonton name on it and basically said you could go to any of these seven rec centers and you could get a little card that would tell other people that you were exempt from wearing a mask. And I have to be honest, when I first saw the tweet, I thought this can't be real. You would expect John D. from Ward 3, friend of the podcast, to have his office printing these exemption cards as a protest for council overruling his desire to not enforce masks. But it was real. We are in some sort of darkest timeline right now. Yeah. So the next day, I went to the Meadows uh, Rec Center down in the southeast and uh, decided to get myself one of these exemption cards. So I went at about 4.45. The facility closed at 5. So it was kind of right at the end of the day. Uh, I was wearing a mask, of course. Uh, and when I got inside, you're greeted by uh, somebody at the front door and they're asking what you would like to do, what you're visiting for. Uh, and I told them I would like to get a mask exemption card. And you could just see her deflate. Like it was just like, oh my God, another one. So then I get in the line, I go up to the counter uh, to talk to uh, to the folks behind the counter and I ask for the max, mask exemption card. And again, just this like sense of, oh my God, that's just the feeling I got talking to them. At this point, I've not told them, you know, that I'm a journalist or anything like that. They're probably like, why do you want a card if you're wearing a mask? But anyway, I was like, uh, I would like a card, please. And the only thing they said to me was, okay, um, you know, if, if you can wear a mask, we strongly encourage you to do so. It's much better for you and others if you can wear a mask. And I said, that's okay. I'd still like the card, please. So then they brought the card out and uh, I took a look at it. I'm like, this is it. <laughs> uh, maybe we should pause and just say, if you haven't seen these cards, they are very flimsy uh, business card sized pieces of cardstock that look, as you were saying, Troy, like they were printed on an office printer. There have been complaints down in the States and in some other jurisdictions of people printing their own exemption cards. And I know even Rebel Media, again, this is the tier we're competing with here, they had printed their own exemption cards, print at home items. And that is how these cards look. This is a dude who took a printer and some business cards and said, hey, I'm going to solve a problem. Yeah. Not so, great products. I mean, we'll come back to maybe why the city went with that or not. But uh, at this point, then I told the uh, the nice lady behind the counter that I was a journalist and I was doing a story about uh, Counselor Zadig's tweet. And then I got to ask her a bunch of questions. And they shared that um, 
first of all, they said, actually, if you come back on August 12th, uh, we'll be able to exchange this card for a button. So at some point, they were planning to make like actual buttons that you could pin to your clothes. And I asked her how many people had been through and what it looked like through the day. And she was she, she said they were shocked at the number of people um, that had come in that day, throughout the day, uh, to ask for these cards. And we later learned that over that first weekend, August 8th to, uh, to 10th or so, there was over 3,000 people that asked for these cards. So I got my card and I left and I, I posted a, a thing on Twitter about it. And, and then, you know, other people had picked it up and had already uh, realized that Zadok's uh, tweet was a sign of things to come. And it kind of took off from there. And so then over the next few days, uh, we had just commentary after commentary. We had counselors using this as a political wedge issue. Uh, Councillor Zadok was out doing media. He was on the TV talking about these exemption cards. Councillor Knack, you know, Dudwit does what he was doing or does did what he does you know he was like posting a thoughtful thread on the cards but not really saying too much on twitter just yet um we had the city on the 10th of august issue a psa essentially saying that wearing face coverings is crucial to slow down the spread of covid19 that same day we had transport canada say if you can't wear a mask for medical reasons you've got to prove it or they won't let you on a plane and that's interesting because up until this point, all the discussion here in Edmonton had been like, you can't ask someone to prove why they need these cards. That's why I was able to go into that rec center and just say I wanted one. I didn't have to give a reason. Apparently, it's a human rights violation to ask what the reason is that I need this exemption, although not for Transport Canada, oddly. Uh, it went on from there. Um, you know, on the 10th, uh, Councillor Nichols started talking about this on Twitter. He called out Mayor Iveson for the first time. He'll do it many more times throughout the next few days. And then on August 11th, a couple of days ago, we had literally the most pointless news conference I've ever seen the city do. It was 19 minutes with the COVID-19 task team point person, David Aiken. We know that this program is not without its flaws. But on balance, we believe it strikes the right mix of elements that compassionately support those who feel they need some way of signaling their exemption. As of noon today, we distributed 3,866 cards, which covers less than one half of 1% of Edmonton's population. And I say this is the most pointless news conference ever because we learned nothing from it. And the very next day, administration sent a memo to counselors in the morning saying they were going to cancel this, they were going to stop handing these out. And in the afternoon, they made it public and they stopped distributing these exemption cards through rec centers. On So that's on August 12th. Um, and then today on August 13th, we're recording this on Thursday, there was the emergency advisory committee meeting where they got an update on this. We've seen some commentary online that AHS says these cards are not valid and they won't recognize them in AHS facilities. Um, and it's just very clear now that this has become a complete, complete debacle and administration totally botched the way they handled this program. Do you think we've gotten into boondoggle territory? I think that might be a word that, you know, some of our favorite counselors are going to use. I think I want to start here with administration's response because after this has all come to blows and the program has been canceled, the framing by administration of this issue was, you know, we were doing this out of the best intentions. And for some reason, nefarious actors chose to abuse this program in a way that we did not expect. They, they also said that they didn't necessarily come up with this themselves. I've heard a couple of different things. So at first, 
they said, you know, this is something that we wanted to offer because we heard from people who do fall under the list of valid exemptions that they were having difficulties. And then they said this was an idea that a citizen brought to them. And that's why they went ahead and implemented this. And then today they talked about that they had done a literature review and had seen other jurisdictions that had done some things. So we're not really clear why or exactly how they made the decision to go ahead with these cards. However it came to be, the uh, postmortem of it was that, oh, we didn't expect such flagrant violation. And I think they said that at cancellation, around 6,000 cards had been issued to Edmontonians. And to that I say, how is this not the most predictable outcome ever? Like, you have to go to a parking lot just to see it. There's parking spots for everyone. There's a set of parking stalls that are reserved for people with mobility issues or disabilities that has a placard that you have to apply for and that's very judiciously placed. And then there's the parking for young families and pregnant mothers. And you know what? You can send me all the hate mail you want. I park in the young family's (laughs) parking stall when I'm just there because that's a BS parking stall. But how did no one predict that people who don't want to wear a mask will get this card that says, oh, free pass, no mask for me. How was this not top of mind? The mask debate doesn't seem like it's a subtle, nuanced, very like wonkish debate. Everyone is involved in this debate. It is the biggest debate in North America right now, I would say. How is this unexpected? It's a very political issue. It's become, at least, and it's very, you're right, very obvious, I think, to anybody who thought about it rationally for one minute that this would be the outcome. There would be people who would, even if they don't, care about wearing a mask or not, they feel that their personal freedoms are in some way infringed by a bylaw, they would use these cards as a way to, you know, make their political point. My favorite part about these cards, Troy, is not actually that they're so terribly made. It's that it says, I cannot wear a mask or face covering. Please give me two meters of space. (laughs) Not, you know, I'm choosing not to wear a mask and I will keep my distance from you. And this is just a heads up or, you know, it's worded as if, the people around you that are actually wearing masks are the ones that need to take the action. It's kind of reminds me of like the, you know, the message to pedestrians that you must wear fluorescent reflective gear when you're out walking. At some point, we have to ask the question of how much does this reveal about the politics of administration? Because you're right, this is a political decision and administration isn't supposed to be making political decisions. They're supposed to be implementing council's agenda. But you have to be startlingly stupid to think that this is not a political stance to take this issue. And no matter what you do, it's political unless you kick the ball up to council. Yeah. And on the speed limits, that's what administration did. They said, you know, we have the best science. We know what the best science is. But any decision we make is going to be political. And therefore, we're requiring council to make the decision and give us direction. Why was council not consulted about this? Because in the absence of consulting council, it makes it seem like administration was taking their direction from the only person who was tweeting about this before it was public knowledge. And that's good old John D from Ward 3, friend of the podcast. Yeah, no doubt. I think you're absolutely right. They should have kicked this up to council for, uh, for a decision, given that it is so political. I don't know if I necessarily agree, though, Troy, that it's a political statement by administration, because for the person in charge of the COVID team on the August 11th to say, you know, to reinforce why they're doing this and to basically defend the program, and then the very next day for them to cancel it, makes me think that they didn't have proper alignment in senior levels of management inside administration. 
that's a fair comment. So you said that uh, there was our favorite counselor uh, had sent uh, a letter to Iveson about this. Favorite counselor, of course, being good old Mike Nickel running for mayor. Was that something of a theme this week? Oh, absolutely. I mean, Nickel was posting about this quite a bit, and his the subject of his posts all week was Mayor Iveson. And he used this very much as a, uh, a political uh, election issue. So the, the letter today basically was written and addressed to uh, Mayor Don Iveson. In his tweet, he says, they have been a complete boondoggle. There you go. And uh, in the letter, you know, said that uh, administration tried their best. Here he is defending administration for a change. They tried their best to accommodate the bylaw, but it was plagued with issues from the start. He argues that they didn't give administration enough time to figure out how to enforce the bylaw. At the advisory committee today, he was repeatedly asking about Home Depot for some reason. Like, could the city go into Home Depot to enforce this bylaw? He wouldn't let that go. And he basically said to the mayor, quote, I am angered at your decision to throw city administration under the bus. I am sorry, Mr. Mayor, but the buck stops with you, end quote. And what he's referring to there is the simple factual statement that the mayor posted that council didn't decide to make these exemption cards available. Administration did that entirely of their own accord. That's a fact. And also, isn't Councillor Nichols' entire personality throwing administration <laughs> under the bus? <laughs> Absolutely. This is what he does again and again, right? That brings me to the next thing that I've noticed over our break. And maybe it was a break. Maybe I'll give councillors a bit of slack. But the the thing that resonated in my head through all of this was, where is Michael Walters? Because mm. we had discussed in the past, you know, who's running for mayor, who's going to be the bell of the ball come fall 2021 and you know you had nickel you had maybe knack throwing his hat at the ring john d's just a wild card making noise but we always sort of assumed that michael walters was taking a step up to swing at the plate we haven't heard anything from michael walters i hope like you say that he's just enjoying a nice long vacation and is going to come back to council next week ready to hit the ground running it could be that, you know, he did what many of the counselors didn't do, which is take a sober second thought about this and see this is going to play out in the only way that it can. It was pretty apparent, I think, that those cards were not going to survive, right? Like they were not going to continue. They weren't certainly going to double down after that sec after that news conference a second time to defend this program with the amount of criticism that they were getting and other counselors and the mayor even then posting online questioning. You knew it was going to end. Maybe he just thought it's going to end anyway. What's the point of adding fuel to the fire? Speaking of doubling down and adding fuel to the fire, one of the other things you might have missed over the summer break was, well... Exactly who you'd expect to be doing it. Two councillors wrote a joint letter to uh, the Minister of Transportation asking for an end to photo radar. Can you guess which two councillors that might be? Uh, we'll give you exactly three seconds to name John D from Ward 3 and Mike Nickel. Yeah, of course, these two would uh, would post something like that. Uh, a bit of context here. The province did back on December 1st of 2019 ages ago, pre-pandemic, um, put a freeze effectively on new photo radar. So if cities already had photo radar equipment, they could continue using it, but they couldn't upgrade it. They couldn't install any new one and they couldn't add any new photo radar locations so that they could review um, the program. But that's not good enough for John D and, and Councillor Nickel. Uh, so they decided to write this letter saying they wanted to basically 
ban it. Uh, Counselor Zadok said, quote, despite our efforts to reform the system already by having the highly visible vehicles, there's still the thought that they're just there for cash generation. I do firmly believe the current system isn't working and a lot of Edmontonians aren't buying into it, end quote. We know just the facts of the matter. You can go to tpavlik.me slash Edmonton dash photo dash radar to find out all you want to know about photo radar. And the simple facts of the matter is that photo radar does have a measurable effect, whether the effect is enough for one to consider worth it, and whether it's worth the investment into the program and the ticketing of Edmontonians. That's a thing that anyone can decide for themselves. But we do know that there is considerable evidence that it does work to slow speeds. But beyond that, I don't actually care whether or not photo radar works. This is such a boneheaded move. And it's it's so anti-conservative. Like conservative ideals are about individual liberty and control and making sure that the government is as small as possible. And here's Mike Nickel in a position of power. Literally, his job is to make the voices of Edmontonians heard and make decisions about it on Edmonton City Council. And he's saying, please, pretty please, province of Alberta, take away Edmonton's autonomy to make decisions for itself. That's what I want you to do right now. And that's just such a baffling take. Why do you think uh, Zadok and Nickel are pushing for this? They know this provincial review is underway. Nickel even put out a petition on his website to collect signatures from people who wanted to see the program go away. What What's the end game here? I think probably the end game here is to abolish photo radar. I'd say it's a pretty transparent uh, end game, but they don't have the support on council to do it. Council has too much of a technocratic slant right now. People who are swayed by facts and figures and go figure that that would be a bad thing. Right. Council just won't abolish photo radar because it's a pretty effective program. And not the least of which, we just had a discussion in council about cutting the police budget and not even cutting the police budget, not increasing the police budget as much as we had previously desired to. Right. Council voted not to do that. Council is still giving the police a raise. Who on council is going to cut $18 million from the Edmonton police budget, which is what ending photo radar would do? That's something very real that council has to grapple with. Of course, neither Nickel nor Zadok wants to be seen massively cutting the police budget. But if the province does it, well, the city's hands are tied. It seems like to me, that Zadig and Nickel want to override the will of council for something that they personally want, and they don't want to have to take responsibility for any of the blowback or repercussions of doing so. They still get the credit for speaking out and making the petition and making the video. They don't have to deal with the consequences. They can just throw their hands up and say, oh, the province did it. Right. And they get their names on the UCP friendly list for when the UCP is investing a lot in our municipal elections. And Nicole is running for mayor. Uh, I think it's a pretty shrewd political move, albeit just one that's really, really dumb. So you get to the next municipal election and you're speaking to the largest voting block in Edmonton, which is drivers, and they think they're going to get support because they've ended photo radar. I'd say that that passes. Uh, and it's very on brand for both of the two councillors. So it's going to speak to the base that got them elected before and probably they're hoping will get them elected again. Right. Um, Unfortunately, it's just to the detriment of City of Edmonton autonomy, which, well, I mean, 
that's already going the way of the dodo. The UCP has not been really supportive of cities having their own autonomy and their ability to control their own destinies. Right. Speaking of controlling our own destinies, Edmonton's COVID numbers are massively ballooning and probably unrelated. We're hosting the NHL bubble here. Yeah, probably unrelated. That's right. Uh, The bubble has been set up for over a month now. It was kind of middle of July that they started erecting fences and things around Rogers Place and uh, some of the nearby streets. Uh, I took a picture of it, I think it was on July 19th. And my usual route to get from my house to uh, the other side of City Hall was closed, sidewalk closed, and they had security guards and police and stuff there. The NHL says they've had zero positive cases in, or at least early on, they had said they had zero positive cases in any of the, the, either of the two bubbles, both in Edmonton and Toronto. They're doing thousands of tests. They were quick to point out those tests did not compete with resources for the rest of us getting tests, which not exactly sure how that works, but that's what they said. Um, But there are a bunch of NHLers right in Edmonton uh, downtown. Yeah, and I'm willing to give them the benefit of the doubt that they're not lying about their test results and that the hockey players are not the result of the COVID spike. But I will say that Earl's on Jasper probably doesn't have bubble zone uh, laws on anyone who's coming in there to watch the game. But that's not the big story here. I think the big story is that once again, we've seen council sort of kowtow and give the NHL anything that the NHL dreams of to the detriment of our own city because people who wanted to use downtown couldn't really. Yeah, this these fences and these uh, road closures and the interruption, especially early on when, when cyclists were trying to get to work and trying to get through there, you know, ran into these um, barriers that they didn't know they were going to be there and it's not clear exactly where you're supposed to go. And downtown is already a bit of a mess to navigate with all of the construction that is going on. So you've got all this uh, all this additional fencing now on top of the construction, which already is challenging. The other thing is, I was pretty annoyed about the cost, right? You know, I, like, as you say, we basically said, yes, please, NHL, come, have whatever you like. Um, the mayor back in May, when he was campaigning publicly for Edmonton to be named one of the, the bubble cities, said that there will be no public money that goes into this. And then city administration uh, did confirm, you know, middle of July or July 19th, whatever it was, that there's no public money going into this. There are services. The NHL is paying for those services. But there's maybe a question to be asked around uh, the inconvenience that it causes and sort of the reparations. Is that the right word? You know, it's not just the cost of the services we're providing to the NHL. We've we've made a cost now for other people who have to figure out how to get to where they're going and navigate it around it. And, you know, there's all these other impacts. They're probably not paying for any of that. And I'd also be really, really interested to see the actual billable cost, like to get the invoice that the NHL is getting sent, because we've seen festivals struggle to survive in Edmonton because the cost of a road closure, like all is bright on 124 or the grand market on 124 or heritage days. These are all festivals that it was in the hundreds of thousands of dollars to close a street for even just half a day. Right. How much is the NHL getting charged to close civic streets for months on end? That's a number that I think we really need to look at because I'm suspecting the NHL is not paying market rate for all of these civic services. And we're not certainly 
getting the economic boost that uh, Premier Kenny and everyone else was promising. That was always going to be a bit of a fantasy. Just like the Oilers winning any of their playoff games. (laughs) There were a couple pieces of news that caught our eye as we uh, went about our summers that gave us a little bit of pause. And the most recent one was a Frank Oliver plaque was vandalized and now will be reviewed. What do you mean reviewed? Frank Oliver plaque uh, was just dumped with some red paint, typical vandalism, and the city, you know, removed the plaques to clean them, but announced that they would be reviewing the plaques before returning them uh, to make sure that the plaque, quote, fully reflects all views of history, end quote. I think it's probably a good thing that uh, Frank Oliver has some uh, thought and consideration put towards his memorials. But you had places like the Oliver Community League put together a really good campaign called Uncover Oliver with a website, a social media campaign, basically talking about how Oliver was a suck and what we can do about it and that it was time to perhaps change the name. Right. And that didn't get the plaque reconsidered. All that got the plaque reconsidered was vandalism. So the precedent being set here, I'm not a huge fan of that. Dump red paint and you'll get what you like. The second thing that caught our eye was a story about 103rd Avenue downtown. And I really had to think in my head about where this was. I couldn't tell from the renderings, but this is basically the street between City Hall and 101st Street. Yeah, it's the nothing street. Unless you're going there, it's got a parking lot and a bunch of angle parking. Uh, The two places that uh, I tend to like there is one is the Subdivision Development and Appeals Board. That's on that street. So if you want to have a lot of fun overriding uh, zoning bylaws, that's the (laughs) place to go. Uh, And then there's also an Italian restaurant called Pazzo Pazzo, which just has insane portion sizes. Like you can go there, you can get an entree, feed two people and have leftovers for a couple days. So I was pretty disappointed when this proposal to renew 103F, which was very beautiful, it has a lot of greenery, a lot of very wide sidewalks, and it looks really good like the rest of downtown. I was really disheartened when I saw the owner of Pazzo Pazzo, James Byrne, say, quote, there are chances if we do this brand new infrastructure stuff here, it's going to get destroyed within months. That's my view, end quote. Ouch. And I mean, that's just like, an oof of a take, I would say. And what is the alternative here? Do we just not build nice things? No, I mean, clearly that can't (laughs) be the alternative. Uh, That's, yeah, as you say, a pretty bad take. And I also liked the look of the, uh, the renderings. You would think, what we typically hear from business owners is you would think he would say, this will be a good thing for business. Clearly doesn't see it that way. There was another business owner who the Global article didn't name which business, but he said, yeah, I want this street redeveloped to help my business. And I think it's really interesting to look at downtown and how it's changing because you have the chasms of Jasper Ave where it's just this valley of cars. But if you actually walk through the ice district, like you go up past Bob and Doug McKenzie, you've got the plaza right in front of Rogers Place by the Rexall with the little circular Mm -hmm. rollerblady pond. And then you can wander over to Edmonton Tower and the Earls and the little overpass by the Marriott. Like it's all very urban and fun and like touristy. Like if I'm a tourist, I want to go see that. That's cool looking stuff. That's a downtown. And The renderings for 103 Ave is exactly like that. And it's just weird to me that business owners in downtown are still taking some of that view. The same how we know 
world across that bike lanes enhance businesses and cause more feet into businesses. And yet you had downtown business owners complaining about losing three parking stalls for the downtown bike grid. It just seems like we're a little bit behind the times. Yeah, no, I think this is a great thing. Anytime you get more green and walkable infrastructure, as the city likes to call it downtown, that's a positive thing. I would like to see the priority list here because you'll note this is the primary way that bureaucrats, administration staff walk to and from City Hall and the Edmonton Tower. So they're kind of making their own day-to-day much nicer when there are other parts of downtown that are still in need of, you know, some uh, some renewal. But that aside, uh, I, I do like the look of it. I do think it's important that we continue to, uh, throughout the downtown, make it a better place to spend time. I will say in defense of the priority list, which you're right, we probably should see, we are redeveloping Churchill Square. Yes. So this block is just a missing link of ugly between the fully redeveloped ICE district on the uh, west side and then the new Churchill Square. And the cost of all of this, it's like one and a half to two million dollars. Good it's, point. It's nothing. Yeah. But what's not nothing is the sponsorship dollars that we get from Park Power for putting on this episode. Park Power is a provider of electricity and natural gas in Alberta that offers low rates, awesome services, and profit sharing with local charities. In Alberta, you get to choose where you buy your energy from. And if you choose Park Power, your money stays right here in the good old Alberta Bay. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Shopping local is very important to Park Power's owner, Chris Kosowski, and we love local here at the Alberta Podcast Network, so it's a great fit. You can learn more at parkpower.ca. And that's all for this week. It's what a week it has been, and the several weeks will... Wow. Yikes, I am out of practice, aren't I, Mac? It just takes a bit of time to get back into the swing of things. And back into the swing of things we shall get. We are unencumbered in the future. There are no more council breaks upcoming for the longest time. So you will get to come back every week at 11 on Friday, except next week might be a little bit delayed then and enjoy our beautiful voices. So until next week, I'm Troy. I'm Mac. And we're speaking Speaking municipally. municipally.